And so Rafara is going to bring us uh, our readings. We've got two readings, the first one from uh, the book of Isaiah and then from the Gospel of Mark. Our first reading is taken from Isaiah 64, verses 1 to 9. Oh, that you would rent the heavens and come down, that the mountains will tremble before you, as when the fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who who gladly do right who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Or look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. The second reading from Mark 13, verse 24 to 37. But in those days following that distress, The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, 
but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You know, you, you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with an assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may these words be the words that stir us to greater following of you. Just bless us, we pray, in this hour, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your phone with you, you might like to turn to Isaiah 64 and Mark 13 to check what I'm saying, because people don't bring Bibles to church these days. So if you want to use your phone, you're very welcome. My question to you today is, what are you waiting for? Are you one of those people who get excited about Christmas and start planning in June, like my children do? But we seem to be obsessed in this country with the build-up to Christmas. The shops start earlier and earlier each year, and even the lights and trees are going up in Downend in the middle of November. Mind you, they are fantastic, so I'm not complaining. They are brilliant. I have found if I put my tree up too early, it'll be dead before Christmas. I'm aware, though, this last week of a different kind of waiting. The longing and waiting of those hostages released by Israel and Hamas. Such agonizing, heart-wrenching waiting by the families and loved ones. Or those Indian laborers trapped in the tunnel that collapsed, the waiting for their relatives too. Our problems are nothing compared to those who wait. However, today we're thinking of a different kind of waiting, and that is the waiting of our Lord's return. It's Advent Sunday, and we are at the beginning of the season that welcomes the Lord Jesus as a baby to Bethlehem. It's often called the first Advent. Now, this was a largely unseen, unknown event at the time, although its ultimate effect was massive. But our reading from Isaiah this morning reminds us that we're not only looking forward to the coming of Jesus at Christmas, but we're looking forward to a second coming of Christ when he will return to the earth. Now, Isaiah began his ministry in 740 BC. He was writing before the exile when the Israelites were conquered and the elite taken to Babylon in captivity. He was actually one of the best-known prophets for his prediction of the coming of the Messiah who would redeem his people from their sins. In this chapter, 
Isaiah is asking God to come down and intervene in the affairs of the nations. How we could do with that now, I'm sure you agree. We're going to explore two questions this morning. What are we waiting for? And how should we wait? So what are we waiting for? Well, I don't know about you, but being brought up in a Baptist month, I was made very aware of the second coming. I was taught that everything we did was recorded in the Book of Life, and that we would be judged on our entry to heaven or when Christ returns. It used to scare me. But as I've grown older, I've perhaps put it to the back of my mind, but still try to live in the light of Christ's return. Sorry about it. Our actions surely have consequences. There have been many predictions about the imminent return of Christ. I remember the words pre-millennialism and post-millennialism being bounded around the dining room table. I still don't understand it. If you want an explanation about those, ask Peter Misselbrook and Nigel Stowe afterwards. Or Paul, he might know as well. Revelation and other books have many pictures of the signs of the end of the world and the second coming. Sometimes you only have to watch the news and wonder, is the Lord about to return? When we see disasters such as wars, famine, flood, earthquakes, evil, persecution of the church, nations arguing, etc., etc., these are all examples of the signs of the end of the world according to Mark 13. In verse 1 to 4, we read that those who wait expect Christ to come decisively and dramatically. It depicts God as one who tears open the heavens and causes wildfire to sweep through the brush. Some may wonder if climate change and so many natural disasters are signs of this imminent arrival of the second coming. But the return of Christ will be awesome. The mountains will quake, the nations will tremble, we will experience things we haven't seen before. Mark 13 speaks of the Lord coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will gather the elect or chosen from the four winds from the ends of the earth. The second coming will be like no other. His return will be very public, unlike the first advent, which at the time was a quiet arrival. Every eye will see him, Revelation says. It will be so dramatic, even the BBC will be taken by surprise. When he comes, all evil and all that stands against God will be defeated. Sin will be wiped out. God will be glorified. Our unwavering trust in God will be rewarded. So are we waiting expectantly and patiently? 
Are we ready for his return? Have we that confidence in God's word that when he says he will return, he will do it? Do we believe that he will return? This may be beyond our understanding, but living in the light of Christ's return give us a hope and a future. We can't limit God by the smallness of our minds. So we have hope. Chapter 64, verse 4 says, No one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. This verse means to rest trustfully in God, in his goodness, in his wisdom, in his love, in his sovereignty, and in his power. So our second question was, so how should we wait? Can I suggest a few ways in which we can reflect in this Advent season about how we are waiting for Christ's second coming? In verse 5 and 7, it says, God responds to those who gladly do right. The word gladly teaches us that we should do the right thing as from the heart living by God's standards, so that we will be taken up by him when he returns. If we fail to live by God's standards, we become detached from God and become separated from him. Isaiah says, we are like lepers who are unclean. We become disintegrated when separated from God, like a faded leaf that the wind takes away. Or we can become depraved like a filthy cloth. Even our righteous deeds may not be pure. Each of us is capable of these things. We need to guard ourselves against sin so that we are ready for Christ's return. Are there areas of our lives where we do not honor God, where we are tempted to go our own way, where we live by standards that we would be ashamed of when the Lord returns? How do we honor God in the way we live and act? Well, this is just a personal example. I'm not saying you have to do this, but I've given up TV apart from the news and documentaries and, fi and factual stuff, I don't find any part of TV helpful. When I was a vicar's wife in my last life, we had enough drama coming through the vicarage door to not need to watch it on TV as well. And that was one of the reasons I gave up. I couldn't cope with it. I'm not saying we should all give up TV but I'm just using it as an example of an area of our lives that can drag us away from time with God. We are all called to worship God, to honor him in thought and mind, and rely on him as a source of strength. How easy it is for us to be distracted or detached when we are not in union with him. When we choose our own way, when we pursue things that don't honor him and fail to live his way.
So my question to you is, will he find us living a life that glorifies him when he returns? Are we gladly doing right as one waiting for Christ's return? And are we praying for the heart to do gladly what is right in God's eyes? The end of this passage in Isaiah gives us hope. We're encouraged to wait despite our past failures and sins because God will show mercy. He will forgive us even though we are unclean. God is consistent in his love for us. In his grace and mercy, his relationship with us is permanent because he is our creator and our father. We are the clay and he is the potter. He has invested his creativity in us and so will not disown us. What a comfort to know that we are his, that we are his people. And he's made a solemn promise with us to have a special relationship with those who call on his name. In 1 John 1, we read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are we right with God? Are we sure that our sins are forgiven and that he will meet us when he returns? But the end of Mark 13 has a very real story about a man who goes away. And the message puts it so well. But the exact day and hour no one knows that, not even heaven's angels, not even the Son, only the Father. So keep a sharp lookout, for you don't know the timetable. It's like a man who takes a trip, leaving home and putting his servants in charge, each assigned a task and commanding the gatekeeper to watch, stand watch. So stay at your post watching. You have no idea when the homeowner is returning, whether evening, midnight, cockrow, or morning. You don't want him showing up unannounced with you asleep on the job. I say it to you, and I'm saying to all, stay at your post, keep watch. May the Lord find us watching. Amen. <laughs>